All right, so we're continuing this morning uh, in our teaching series about what we as a church are grateful for, celebrating all of the ways that God continues to show up and work through us and have an impact in our community. And we've been centering ourselves in the passage of Philippians 1 uh, and kind of looking at pieces of that each week. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, it's going to be a different one next week, I promise, a different portion of Philippians. But today's the last Sunday that will reflect on these first uh, 11 verses in Philippians Uh, And so I'm going to read a few of them for us this morning, maybe just the first six or eight or so. So the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm only going to read a few verses here. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We've noted in the first few weeks that we've looked at this, this just tone of joy and thanksgiving that Paul is communicating to the people in Philippi. It's clear that, that he cares for them. There's this affection, even a fondness. I long for you all with the affection of Christ. And we've noted that it's, he knew this church really, really well, and he was writing uh, to say thank you for their partnership in the gospel from the, from the beginning of his missionary journeys with them up until this point now in Paul's life when he's in prison and how they visited him and brought him provisions and cared for him and prayed for him, that partnership. It's that mood of thanksgiving and joy because of that, that partnership, which we looked at last week the way that they have participated in the life of God together, and therefore the work of God, and the the sort of uh, progress of the gospel or the defense of the gospel, the, the sharing of the gospel wasn't just Paul. It was all of them in partnership together. That's that power of koinonia, that fellowship and, and gathering and partnership that we looked at. That power of koinonia, that sharing in the mission of the church together, sharing in the spirit, that creates a certain kind of bond. That creates a certain kind of community. A kind of community where people help each other and where joy and thanksgiving are countercultural. Especially against a world of scarcity. Because we believe, we believe in the abundant love and presence of God. I know that there have been moments in our lives when we have experienced that provision of the gathered church community. The love of of even maybe this community that has surrounded you in a time of need. It's grace to receive the things that you can't do on your own. Amen? That's grace. To receive the help and support and love that you can't do on your own. And that fills you with a sense of gratitude and joy and thanksgiving. It's a different kind of community countercultural, and a world bent on looking out for themselves and scarcity and winning and 
you know, I talk to so many other moms and kind of other mom groups that I'm a part of where they're like, where's the village? I don't, people say it takes a village. Yeah, I'm all for it. Where is it? A church community is a different kind of community that cares for one another. That special bond and unity in the spirit. There was an early church father who noted uh, this in his writings, uh, and he talked about how people outside of the church community used used to describe these Christians in this way. And they used to say, it's an odd assortment of people. What an odd assortment of people. But see how they love each other. I love that. I love that idea of what an odd assortment of people. People who would never associate with each other in any other arena of life. But you can choose to worship together and love one another and participate in the gospel mission together out of love. See how they love one another. It was Tertullian is his name, this early church father. And in his writings, he goes on to describe it as this. And he's talking about, you know, these outsiders. And they would say, look how these Christians love one another. And he notes for they themselves hate one another, people on the outside. And they would say, look how they are ready to die for each other. And this early church father noted, for they themselves, looking at these group of Christians, they are readier to kill each other. So how countercultural, how bizarre, how odd, this odd assortment of people who love one another, who are more ready to die for each other, than the rest of the world who spent on killing one another. Unfortunately, we know that sort of throughout church history, from these early days in Philippi until now, the church hasn't always been marked by such affection. The church hasn't always been marked by such fondness for one another and compassion and love like Paul is describing this early church in Philippi. See how they love one another, these people are saying. At some points, we know in in the course of church history, in its various expressions, the church has been readier to kill one another than to die for one another. I was reminded of this on the trip, the anniversary trip that Matt and I took just a few weeks ago. Many of you know uh, it was gone for a few weeks. It's a 10-year anniversary. One of those things we're not going to do again for another probably 15 years. And I was reminded, as we were touring uh, this small town, Marseille, in the south of France, uh, one day we just had this this privilege of going and visiting this town. And as we were driving through the city, our our guide pointed out something that was pretty odd. And that was the presence of two steeples in the center of this village, instead of just one. Because usually in this region, in these small sort of village towns, especially in the old city where it's very walkable still, uh, you, would assume, you would see one steeple in the center of town, and it, would, it was assumed to be Catholic. That was the community, the parish of the village. Um, but this one had two. You can kind of see, I don't know if you can see in the picture, this one kind of close up, and then there's one kind of in the center uh, of, the, of the picture. And so one is the Catholic Church, and the other is what my tour guide called uh, the Protestant Temple of the town. So we walked up to it. I felt very protestant in that, <laughs> in that moment. So we walked up to it to take a look from the outside. And this Protestant temple, as he called it, represents the gathering of French Protestants that once existed there in the days after the Protestant Reformation. 
They were members of the Reformed Church in France, Calvinist in their belief and thought, meaning they followed the teachings of John Calvin, a reformer. They were known as the Huguenots. Anyone heard of them? Some church nerds? All right, yeah, loud and proud. It's all right, yeah, Huguenots. (laughs) In the 16th century, as the Huguenots and their number and influence grew as a result of this Protestant Reformation, this sort of new thought and new expression of the Christian faith, they began to more publicly display their faith. And as their number grew and as they began to more publicly display their faith, hostility toward them grew as well from the Catholic state. To the point where there was a series of religious conflicts for nearly 50 years known as the French Wars of Religion. Wars of Religion. You heard that right. They were fought off and on throughout this course of 50 years. Persecutions against these Huguenots, arrests, loss of rights and legal representation according to the state. They were forced at times to either convert to Catholicism or flee as refugees. And many would flee Paris, the sort of the big city, to some of these smaller towns. Our guide noted uh, that in August 24th through August 3rd, this period of about three months, there was what was known as the St. Bartholomew's Day of Massacre. St. Bartholomew, I said, what? Say that, can you say that again? By September 17th of that year, they say that nearly 25,000 Protestants had been killed in Paris alone. The wars of religion. And for those of you that have maybe studied the Protestant Reformation, there were other incidences like this, right? And I'm not saying just the Catholics, but just, you know, we're not pointing fingers here. I'm just pointing out that this was a bloody time in church history. Wars of religion. And that Protestant temple in Marseille still stands today, sort of a stark reminder for me, as I just sort of stood there and took it in, of the history and existence of a faithful people called the Huguenots. So then the week we got home from this trip, I was talking to a friend of mine who's United Methodist church planter outside of D.C. She's one of those, like, really hip pastors, you know what I mean? She's like, she's got got the sleeve, Daryl. She's got a sleeve tattoos. She's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to her about her church and things that were going on. We were just kind of catching up the week after I got home. And she was sharing with me about things that were going on in her church. And it's an exciting time for them because they were a, they, they're a mobile church. They've been nine years meeting in a school where they set up and tear down every single week. A mobile church. And she said, I never thought that we'd be anything more than just a mobile church sort of stuck in her vision of what she thought they would be. Until one day, a few weeks ago, out of nowhere, the Episcopal Church down the road called them and said, we have a sanctuary and a fellowship hall and a classroom building that we are not using. And we wanted to know if you would like to rent from us as a mobile church in the school, that we could partner together because we only worship in the chapel. And so she had to rework and go back to her board and think, okay, what, what is the possibilities here? And they talk about how they partner together for the common good in their community. And she said, Rachel, it all changed for us. When instead of asking, what do we need? 
And what do we have as a church community, as this one church that she has, this church plant in a school on Sunday morning, instead of asking what do we have and what do we need, she started asking what does the world need to see from us right now? What does the world need to see from the church, capital C Church, right now? And she said, what if what the world needs to see is groups of Christians more willing to share and collaborate and work together instead of against each other? More willing to die for one another than to kill one another? Remember what the commentary was about that early church? What an odd assortment of people, but look how they love each other. Look how they are more ready to die for one another. She said maybe what the world needs to see is people who are partnering together, sharing what they have, offering it together to collaborate for the common good so that God's kingdom of justice and mercy and goodness and love might come on earth as it is in heaven. Wow. This is the kind of community the church needs to publicly be in the midst of backbiting, uh, division, and, and polarized world that we live in. What an odd assortment of people, but look how they love one another. Why do I say all that? Why do I bring all of this up? I did not expect my friend to share all that with me when I called randomly after my trip, where I also didn't expect to be sort of uh, struck you know, by the presence of, of these multiple church steeples and what a big deal that was in church history. It was one of those moments where you stop and you go, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, like we collectively, the church throughout time, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, have you ever had those moments? Just me and my existential crisis. I know I have friends back there that have these moments. The words of my friend reminded me kind of brought it back together, that the kind of community the church needs to publicly be in a world bent on violence and religious wars and division and polarization is one that just uniquely loves one another in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that says you don't find this anywhere else because we are community, we are family, and we care for one another deeply even though we don't look alike or vote alike or think alike, we care for one another in the spirit of Christ. And I say all that because it was a moment of gratitude for my church family that deeply cares for one another, that I'm grateful for the way that we love one another. And I think one of the most countercultural things that we can do in this time and place is to be just that, is to be family. And I see it. I see the possibility. I see the potential. I see it happening most powerfully in our ministries with our children and youth. Of when we enter into this space, when we gather as a part of the koinonia, it's no longer my kids and your kids. It's our kids. And it's no longer, oh, my kids don't go here. It's, hey, these are our children. These are our youth collectively. Like I mentioned, so many of of these uh, moms groups that I'm in, they're like, yeah, where's that village? And I'm like, oh, I'm grateful because I feel like I, I have that village. Where we can enter this place and know that 
the faith development of my child isn't all on me. It's all of us together teaching and encouraging and loving our kids. What an odd assortment of people. I mean that with all the love in the world. <laughs> but look how they love each other and look how they love their children and youth. So I have a video to share with you now this morning from one of our own youth to share why we are thankful for Revolution Church. Hi, my name is Lenora Turner, and I have been going to Revolution Church for about 10 years now, and I'm a part of the youth ministry. For the, the youth ministry means to me that I can have community with other children around my age and get to do cool things that relate around God. We've gone on retreats. We do normal activities throughout the year, and we have youth group pretty much every Sunday. My life has changed through youth ministries because I get to hang out with youth around my age who I might not get to see in my other extracurriculars, and I get to experience God with them too. God has changed me through youth ministries because now I have a better relationship with them. This past summer as a church, we got to go and serve with Hand in Hand Ministries. Hand in Hand Ministries is a ministry in Portland, Louisville, over on the west side of Louisville, and they work in community service in that general area. They work with people in that community, helping them with day-to-day -day jobs, like building up a fence or repairing something in the house. But they also do bigger projects, such as working on a bus for people who might not have certain resources in their life, such as being able to charge their phone or have a proper meal. So Anant Han has a food bank and also, if you could think about it, a power bank too. This trip was possible because of Revolution Church and the impact that Revolution has on the community. So thank you for giving to Revolution Church. Thank you, Lenora, for sharing. I really, really appreciate your words of testimony. When you give to Revolution Church, you are funding ministries that are nurturing the faith of our young people. You're giving of your time and your talents and your resources to pour in to not just the next generation, but of our current church, that these youth and children are a part of our church now, not just in the future, but a vital part of who we are. I celebrate and I'm so grateful for the way that this church loves our children and youth. Look how they love. Look how they welcome little ones into this worship space. Look how they show up for one another when a new baby arrives. Look how they take care of one another's kids. Look how they fulfill the covenant made at the waters of baptism. It's not just on the parents and the profession of faith that's made. It's, it's not just about that moment of grace poured out for that infant or child or for anyone who comes to join this church. It's also about the covenant that you make as the gathered body that bear witness to the outpouring of that grace that says, all right, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to support you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to help raise you up in the faith as well because you're my child now. You're part of this family now, and we got you. 
I celebrate that this year, last weekend, we had nine students that went on our fall retreat to Camp Lucon, nine youth that went on our fall retreat. One youth was baptized this year, and we got to celebrate with Brianna and her profession of faith and gather around here in the gym and in our horse trough there as she was baptized. We celebrate that we have weekly youth group that continues to meet and create safe. Catherine and Michael are doing a great job creating safe space where our kids, like Lenora said, can just show up and belong and be with their peers and ask tough questions and have fun. They're having a family Thanksgiving dinner tonight as a part of their youth gathering. And I think there could be anywhere from like 10 to 30 people at my house, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this could be great. <laughs> And I'm so excited to have space for them to connect and to gather and to be taught in the ways of Jesus. And our Revolution kids, we also had one student baptized this year. And we got to celebrate Cruz and the decision that he made to follow Christ. And we still prayed over him and prayed that, uh, that blessing over him and covenanted with him to raise him in the faith. They continue to have opportunities to learn and grow, and I'm so excited that this year we hired Brenna to give us more leadership and organization with our little peeps and our Rev Kids Ministries. And y'all, she has so many exciting ideas planned for the new year of changing up curriculum, of new ways to, to fellowship and to gather. She wants to start doing some service projects kind of quarterly upstairs with the kids. She's planned a pumpkin party this afternoon. So families, if you haven't signed up, please stay. We're going to have lunch and uh, have some pumpkin games. And, and it's okay if you've already decorated your house for Christmas. You could just spray paint the pumpkin silver. <laughs> right? Sparkly silver, and it's now a Christmas pumpkin. There you go. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so join us. So many exciting things that are going on to pour into the lives of our children and youth. I love these words that Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So much thanksgiving and joy for their partnership in the gospel. And then he says, I'm sure that he who began a good work, it's this good work is, is their readiness to share in the work of the gospel. The good work is not the stuff that they are doing. It's very clear that Paul is saying, look, this is a work of God. The thing that is good here, the thing that's happening that's really good, is a willingness to participate in the mission and gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what happens after that? God's going to bring that to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We offer what we have, and we surrender that, and we let the Holy Spirit go from there. We don't cause that growth. We don't, we don't even know, friends. We don't even know when we pour in to our children and youth, for example, what's going to happen in the future. That's always true, but sometimes we forget that. We don't, we don't bring the fruit, right? We, we don't force the growth of that fruit. We're called to plant those seeds, to water those seeds, to nurture that growth, yes. But love that is poured out, relationships that are forged when you're teaching, when you're on retreats with these kids, when you set the example of what it looks like to love one another well, what we can do is lay a solid foundation. We don't know the impact that we will have. 
I'm, I'm guessing it's much bigger than we could even imagine or quantify or try to guess right now. If we would surrender all that we could and let Jesus bring it to completion. After these words of thanksgiving, Paul says this, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I got ahead of myself. That's the fruit he's talking about. I haven't read it to you yet. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I love that after all these words of thanksgiving, the first thing Paul says is not pray for me, but is I'm praying for you. And my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He's saying the head and the heart aren't separated in this, but the more that we can learn and know about God, the more that we can love God. Being the revolution of joining Jesus in the revolution of transforming lives, we say through teaching and serving. This is one of the ways that we're revealing the love of God is through our, is through our Sunday morning experience, is through our teaching of our children and youth, revealing the love of God so we can grow in knowledge and in love. So that you might approve what is excellent. That's distinguished from the things that really matter. Make the right decisions in life. How often do we as a church get caught up in what really doesn't matter? What really doesn't impact the kingdom? So I pray that your love may abound more and more so that you may approve what is excellent. So you might be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus. So that you might be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. On the day of Jesus, you know, we talk about this is really this lifelong growth in discipleship, right? This is a lifelong journey that we are on together, and we are sojourners together, becoming more like Christ and Jesus together, experiencing grace through learning and searching and, and growing in that love so that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Friends, I want you to hear that all of that work is God's. It's not ours. That's God's work to bring that growth and that fruit, not ours. But we're invited into this partnership, into the life of God, which means then also into the mission of God. And it's almost just how humbling, how, what an honor that we even get to be a part of it. What a gift. As I was thinking through this in these verses, I thought this prayer, how powerful of a prayer. We should start praying this over our young people over our children and youth, that their love may abound more and more, so that they may one day approve what is excellent, have that spirit of wisdom and discernment, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus, that over the course of their life, as they grow, they may become more and more like Jesus, filled with that fruit that comes only from the Spirit. We need to start praying this prayer over our youth, but friends, we also need to be the answers to those prayers, to offer what we have to join with Jesus in this work and in this mission. Through our financial partnership, yes. Through our time in teaching our kids, yes. Through our willingness to just check in 
when you see our kids around here on a Sunday morning, learn their names, call them by name, know that they are loved here in this family. I introduced it last week. It's out at our new info desk. Have you noticed? We moved. We moved that stuff. But there are still cards out there. As a part of our stewardship campaign this year, we're inviting you to fill out a card of all the ways that you might feel God calling you to offer your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness to partner with us. And today, specifically, in the ways that we are nurturing the faith and loving our children and youth. We need you. We need the family. Yes, through financial partnership, but also through teaching. If you've never taught our little kids upstairs, you are missing out on a party. Can I just say that? And we need more teachers in the new year. We have some that are rolling off. We have some that have done it for many, many years and are ready to take a break. And we need new teachers who are willing to be the answer to this prayer of helping raise our kids up and teaching them about the goodness of God and the ways of Jesus. So if you have questions about that, you can see me or Brenna. Maybe God's even working right now to say, hey, you know what? I could do that. Once a quarter, ooh, I could do that. Because you could. What an odd assortment of people. But look how they love one another. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your church. Even in all of the ways and times that we have not got it right. God, we pray and we thank you that there's been a faithful expression of the ways of Jesus that has continued, that we have inherited, that we have picked up the pieces of and continued on this way of Jesus. God, we pray that you would continue to be at work among us, that you would continue to pour out upon us your spirit that the fruit of love and joy and kindness and compassion would continue to grow among us. And that you would give us the courage we need to continue to be that weird sort of countercultural community that in the midst of so much competition and backbiting and just so much that we could get wrapped up in, God, that we would continue be a countercultural place of welcome and of love and of family who cares for one another deeply with the compassion of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the gift and help us to steward it well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.